Welcome to Unscripted Startups. I'm your host Cameron Stack here in the beautiful Silicon Slopes, Utah. Today I'm joined with Tim Cooley. He is the author of Find Your Killer Idea, which is available on Amazon now, and he's also the general manager of the Mill, a unique twist on co-working space here in Sandy, Utah. Thanks for coming on the show, Tim. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about your experience and share with me about the mill and about the previous projects you worked on. Yeah, so the mill is a co-working space in Sandy, Utah. Our focus is really on business incubation. So we're currently working with about 95 different companies, ranging from marketing, sales coaching, to medical devices, and full-on SaaS platforms. And the goal is to really provide the resources that they need. The entire building the mill is set in is the business resource center. And so anybody has access to the small business development center, um, SCORE, and a whole bunch of other resources all in one building, which makes this kind of unique. That sounds super incredible. So tell me, when did you find out that you were interested in the entrepreneurship or like business stuff? Like when was that moment that you're like, I really really like business. Yeah. So I've always been interested in, okay, I didn't know I was interested in entrepreneurship. I didn't know that was a word. Yeah. So when I was little, you know, shoveling snow and making money, doing that kind of stuff. Um, my mom started an office when she's a doctor, started an office and then we would help with that. One of my teachers was like, Hey, I have this idea for promoting our uh, auditorium. So I helped him with that. And then as I went through, I joined the Marine Corps. And I was always, like, coming up with little schemes. We'll call them schemes, right? (laughs) I didn't know. It's how I can make money off people. But um, I didn't really get into this concept of entrepreneurship until way later. So I went and got a master's degree in sports medicine. And part through that program, I was like, this just isn't my life. Um, And everywhere I'd gone before, I was fixing people's things. So I'd always have these crazy ideas, and I'd fix it. And I read the the book uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, It is what it is. And I was like, you know, like, I'm capable of doing something. And so I had two ideas when I was going through school. One was in the fitness world, and the other one was in the health, uh, eating better. So I was huge into meal planning, still am. But um, and I was exercising all the time, and I was like, you know, the hardest part of exercising is coming back. So this was like 2010. And um, I was like, how can I create a program that encourages people coming back? And if you know the term now, it's called gamification. Back in 2010, it wasn't really a word. There was like eight people talking about it. And so I, I mean, we had nothing. Like the resources that I needed at the time were massive, but I didn't know. Like most entrepreneurs, you just dive into it and you go for it. And so I was learning video editing, web development. Like um, how do you rent a space for free? Like what can you do for people? And so I had all, everything set up. Like we were filming in my garage, we painted it, you know, and then we got a studio and like things were going and uh, we couldn't take credit card payment. So it was like 2011 and it's not as easy as it is now. Like nothing <laughs> as easy as it is now. And so like our videos were ugly, the website was ugly, you know, couldn't take payment. So we'd spent a couple years on that project and I was like, you know, this just isn't working. You know, I, I keep pushing and pushing, it's just not working. So uh, fortunately I got lucky and got into online marketing. And again, I didn't know that was called entrepreneurship. I just uh-huh. had this idea. Yeah. And um, I got into online marketing, did that for a couple of years. And I was like, you know, I'm not good at this business stuff. I like the idea of business. 
and then I came to the University of Utah. Then that's when really I learned what entrepreneurship was as a school of thought as well as an execution. And so worked on my next company then. And I then, but and during that time, I ran a seed fund. So helping other companies get small increments of cash. And I was like, I love this. This is awesome. Yeah. Like, there's something unique about, you know, and I think like being in the military, you're there to accomplish a, a mission. And I think entrepreneurs have that, like, it doesn't matter. Like I got to focus and get this thing done. And I think that's why it's been appealing to me. That is what entrepreneurship is. I feel like, I mean, nowadays it's everyone sees it as like the sexy, you know, driving a Ferrari, a bunch of cash. But a lot of us just started off like doing like lemonade stands and selling stuff at the end of our driveway, mm-hmm. doing eBay, whatever the case may be. And we just found out that we love business. Right. And yeah. When I think that the, there's a this concept that people don't really see is this value creation, right? And this exchange of cash. Like I, I don't like asking people for money. Like I think it's like a, it's humbling and humiliating to be like, uh, I need money from. But when there's this really positive exchange of value and which is cash, there's this moment that you, I don't know. Like I just, I think you appreciate customers more. When you like, hey, that's 500 bucks. And they're like, yes, it is. You know, there's that moment that you've both created equal value to one another. And um, I think that that's like there's something priceless about yeah. that moment, you know. And, and we take it for granted. eBay or, you know, like e-commerce. We don't see the customer. But I think that, I don't know, that's what I like. Yeah, I totally agree. And with that, if you're not getting some kind of reward for doing your even if it is a passion of yours, you're going to get burnt out because there's no like exchange, yeah. like you said. And even though people want to do these for your hobby, you also need to pay your bills. And you don't want to go out and have to like work in fast food so you can support your art or whatever passion. There's nothing wrong with that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with it as you transition, but why wouldn't you want to get paid for doing something you love? Well, and like, especially like in the art case and people who are trying to sell a serve, you know, uh, they just don't value it for the consumer. I mean, think about like, how awesome would it be to have a clean house? Like, is it worth 20 bucks or is it worth six hours of your time? Yeah. Like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. an exchange there that's worth doing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. And I feel like business should be more integrated into the art community because a lot of people see it as like selling out. I'm like, it's not selling out if you're able to support yourself on something you truly love. Oh, absolutely. And we see that all the time, too, in just the businesses that I work with, um, service industries in general, like people who teach sales or podcasting or whatever, you know, they don't realize the value of their time. And I think that it's a a hard thing to exchange because I love sharing information. Right. And I think the majority of people who are entrepreneurs love sharing their knowledge with people, but they're like, man, I got to get paid. Yeah. And then like that's where this conflict comes in. Like I could help you for free or you could pay me a thousand dollars, you know, and you're like you're torn. You know, this goes into what I already mentioned. But what is your thought on entrepreneurship? now versus like 10 years ago and how everyone's like the fake entrepreneurship or the I'm sure you've seen the YouTube ads where it's like I'll teach you how to make a thousand bucks overnight drop shipping you know kind of stuff so it's interesting because 
people, so when you look, think of entrepreneurship, right, you think like you have to be a software developer, right? You don't think of it as a person who's making money, right? Selling lemonade or whatever. Um, but like people don't realize like building something's easy. Anybody can build a lemonade stand, go to Home Depot, yeah. eight two by fours or whatever, and you've got a lemonade stand. To sell the lemonade is a completely different mentality. Um, humans, were, I, I think that we're naturally creative. We want to build stuff. But um, to get paid from somebody is a completely like, hey, let me get your lemonade, you know? And you're like, ah, that's five bucks. And you're like, why is it five dollars? You know, like, and then that becomes like this conflict, you know? And I don't think a lot of people, that doesn't sit with people very well, especially people who would like to build things. Uh-huh. And so you get the fake, you mentioned the fake people. The fake people tend to just keep building. I would say the person who keeps building is a little bit further down the pipeline, but you have that other group of people like, I want to start a company, I want to start a company, but they just never even take the first step of, you know, like, build a prototype. Let me try whatever it is that you're trying to do or, you know, whatever. And I, and I think that those people are, will always have those. But those are the people who fall subject to, you know, the gurus online. They're looking at it as a pure, like, I need to make more money. Yeah versus, hey, look, how can I create value for Cameron today, right? Like, how does that happen? Like, I need lemonade. I'm thirsty. And you're like, here, five bucks. And you're like, done, right? Like, that's a completely different. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of time to see that there's an exchange in value. That's an excellent thought. I know this one guy who collects golf balls out of, like, the ponds at the golf courses and recycles them, and he's able to make millions of dollars but young teenagers would think that it's not glamorous because you can't really you know instagram about it it's super unsexy yet he's making tons of money a lot more money than most people who are trying to do the the cool thing well and glamour is such a huge issue now right like get into the toilet business right like honey bucket right who wants to scoop out poop right they make a killing right so and again, I think that's what goes back to providing value. If you can find a way to provide value and you're okay with the industry, like, own it, that guy, because there's so many ways to make money. I mean, just drive down the street. There's, like, a thousand businesses that you pass. I mean, fast food isn't sexy and you smell bad, right? Yeah. But how often do you buy it? You All know? the time. All the time, right? So um, I, 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 and I think people need to move away from the glamour like, and focus on does it fulfill me? And maybe it's just cash. Right. Like landscaping is not a fun business, but makes good money. Yeah. I mean, and this is kind of an interesting thing that we're in right now is electricians and plumbers and these like skilled positions people don't want to do because they're not sexy. But, man, they make so much money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're chasing money and that's all you care about, go be a plumber. Yeah. It's entrepreneurship. Yeah. 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 Find clients. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Tell me about the hurdles and some of the things you had to overcome when building your personal projects within the fitness space and some of the other projects you did? Yeah, so I think that one of the issues with entrepreneurship is we don't know what we don't know, right? A word, you don't know how to look up something. I don't know if you ever like taught yourself coding, right, or whatever. Um, but I think that that's what happens with entrepreneurs. You just say, I have this idea and you go for it. And so your resource is Google. And, you know, Google's only giving you the answer to your question. They're not really expanding your brain to the other things. And so what I found out with my two big ventures was just resource management, right? Like, so, like, let's take the fitness company. Uh, I didn't have any money. I was in school, you know, I was in a master's program. 
and yet I needed well, to then, buy it. To my parents gave me a computer, computer right? and, that was and it would took for a 30-minute video was rendering in like 12 hours. So to get that at uh-huh. that time, right, you needed like a $6,000 computer. Yeah. And then you got to pay somebody to do your web development. And then you got to pay someone to do something else, right? So I could keep learning the skills of video editing. and That was easy, right? I could learn web development. That was easy. But, like, when you kept running out of resources, that was so, like, it was so taxing. Um, I can I can learn anything. But, like, yeah, you just find out that, shoot, I don't have another 10 grand or I don't have another 5 grand or I don't know anybody who can do this thing. And so and I've seen that with that business, with my next company, we did the same thing. Just You just find out you keep running out of resources. And what I noticed, and this is what my book's really about, is you you already know that. When you go into this company, you already know that you're going to run into these massive hurdles before you ever get there, right? Yeah. Like, I'm filming videos. Like, I have to get a video camera. Like, now you can just use your phone, but yeah. which is awesome, by the way. And so, but now, like, it's just, it, you, you have to overcome that somehow. And I think good entrepreneurs figure out how to overcome that. But the reality is, is most people will never be able to overcome certain hurdles unless some miracle happens, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's my big takeaway for like, find out what your resource pool is and then maximize that. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on building an MVP and how people can do it with a limited amount of money. Okay. So this is my favorite thing. So I am huge into MVPs with next to no cash. So great example. I tested a product in uh, the deodorant space. And it, an Old Spice container orange, slapped a sticker on it, ran some marketing ads to it. Um, that cost me like $200 for everything. Um, and I think that that's just an example of one way you can do it. I worked with another company who was doing this hat display. And he created his first version by cutting out aluminum cans and molding what he had in his brain. And so I think what people, they think that they always have to build this final version, you know. And the reality is you don't. Like, it doesn't even have to look anywhere close. It just has to convey the message. And then you can you can get or try to get sales. So anybody can build anything. Like, the way, capabilities of us as people to build something now is basically everything can, can be built. But not everybody can market. Yeah. And I think that the MVP is so critical to testing your capabilities of marketing and sales that it doesn't have to look good. It doesn't, I mean, it can be anything, a piece of paper, right? Like you can sell a drawing, right? Like this is what it will look like. Give me 50 bucks, you know? Um, it's drastic. That makes yeah. sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And anyone could create something, but if there's no market for it or you're not able to sell it, then it's just that, you yeah. know? Yeah, and if you don't have that skill of selling, right? Like you don't know how to run a Facebook ad. Like practice it on selling the piece of paper, right? Like that's not going to change whether the product exists or doesn't exist. Yeah. Like that skill set still has to be acquired. Um, and most people, they raise all this cash and do crazy stuff just to get the thing built, but they still haven't developed that other skill, you know? And they're like, well, now I need a marketing firm. And they're like, well, that's 10 grand. And you're like, yeah. oh, I don't have that money. When you could have been practicing that skill set way before you spent a hundred grand developing your product. Yeah, totally. So tell me a little more about like a deep dive on your book and finding your killer idea. 
Yeah, so the book, it's broken down into five stages. And the first one is to, it's ideation. So just think critically about the thing that you're working on. Is it the right business for you? Do you have the right resources? And then the second stage is discovery. Discovery goes really deep into this resource. Like, what am I going to need? Who, like, where would I get it made? So let's take the deodorant, for example. I already knew who the manufacturers were. I knew what the minimum order quantities were. I knew how to get my plastic sourced. I knew all of that stuff. And I'd only spray painted an Old Spice container, right? You can find out so much information about this idea well before you put any money into it. And so that's what discovery is about, um, figuring out what's going to kill it. Because you're trying to, like, test the idea with yourself first. And then if there's these major hurdles, so let's say, for example, well, let's say the deodorant. I found out that I needed to order 10,000 units. Um, if I was going to go to the... Uh, deodorant route or the antiperspirant route it has to be cleared by the fda yeah. like some crazy stuff um so i was like man how much is ten thousand units well i needed fifteen thousand dollars and for me at the time like the project that i was doing i wanted to be way less than that yeah and so so then i got that and then the step three is build so build is like this like we're talking about with mvps so i spray painted this thing put a sticker on it created a video um and then the next section is test and so I tested it with Kickstarter, you know, didn't work out, which is fine. But we got a lot of good positive feedback. And so that's all I was trying to do is test whether or not there was a market. And then the last stage is kill the idea, right? It's going after. Yeah. And so that's that's what the book takes you through. It's like how that's the process to seeing if that idea is a killer idea for you, which means you can make it and you can bring it to market, right? If you can do both of those things. Yeah. Um, then you have a killer idea. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's a great um, point because there are good ideas and then there are killer ideas. Yeah. Because, like, you could do anything, but do you want to and can you make an impact in that industry? Absolutely. Yeah, and I, you've mentioned it. There's lots of good ideas. We come up with new good ideas every day. But it's killer when you can execute. Yeah. Right? That's the big difference. Uh, what has been the biggest piece of advice or insight you've received while your business and entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, so that's a tough question because I learned from a lot of different people. I think recently the biggest advice that I have is pick up the phone, right? Like I'm not a sales guy. Like that's not like my thing. Um, some people are, but I mean, talk to people. Like you've got to pick up the phone. I mean, we just use this as the phrase, but like I'm talking to you, right? Like what are your, what do you need, right? What problems do you have? And then can I solve those for you? And I think that we're in a day and age where email is so easy and text is so easy, but we forget that it's business is relationship driven. Yeah. And when you're on the phone with somebody, they can't not talk to you, right? And, you know, when you're in person with somebody, you can't, hey, do you like this thing? They're like, yeah, but you can feel G. And yeah. I think that that's where we're at right now. And that to me is like, I guess the biggest advice for right now is just pick up the phone, give somebody a call. Say hi. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're not always selling, but sometimes you just need to talk to somebody. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant concept. I was listening to this other podcast episode um, with Gary V, and he was talking about how he was chatting with this one lady and encouraged her to pick up the phone and call all of her clients. And she did. 
and she wasn't trying to sell anything. She was just checking in with them, and so many people were appreciative. Yeah, I just yeah. think, yeah. It's just, crazy. Yeah, just be yeah. there. Don't, just be there. Don't try to sell anything. Mm-hmm. Just see how they're doing, you know? Like, well, it's interesting when you're in a sales mindset because most entrepreneurs are struggling, right? Yeah. They're either close to break even or they're looking for that first client, so they feel like they have to sell. And I heard this concept the other day, like let go of yes, right? Let go of like this hey, can we buy my thing? And you're like, nah, right? It's like, oh man, like I didn't get the sell. But if I was just out there like, hey, I got this thing, like, and you're like, cool, right? You might come back. I know you're going to buy at some point because I know a little bit more about you or whatever, but sometimes you just need to pick up the phone and talk to people about selling. Yeah, yeah, which is hard. sure. Which is hard for entrepreneurs. Like good entrepreneurs want to sell all the time. Yeah, yeah. Especially salespeople. Yeah. But if you can just build that relationship and then they're like, oh, I got to go back to that guy. He was the person. Uh, do you have any thoughts on how to successfully bootstrap a company without getting huge amounts of venture funding? So the thing is, it's all about numbers. So you've got to know, you have to know the numbers, right? Um, especially in the bootstrapping ecosystem. Because the reality is, let's say I need to make 40 k to survive. I'm selling a $1,000 thing and it costs me $800. My profit margin is 200 bucks. Well, I'll just do some quick math and you'll find out like, I got to sell a lot, Yeah. right? Then it goes back to this resource pooling, right? That's just a very quick mathematical thing. And you're like, shoot, I have to sell, I don't know what my number is, 500 or something. I don't, you can see like, what do I have to do to make that happen? And I think that when people really get into the numbers of their business, that's when bootstrapping is possible. The reality is if you want to go from one employee to two, that is when you run into this financing problem, right? So it's easy to take care of yourself. You yeah. Know? But again, running our numbers, now we got to get another person at 40K a year and I got to double what I'm doing. You know how hard it was for me to get that first one, right? So what do you do, right? Like, what does that person even do for you? What we're seeing right now is you've got to get to 10 employees. 10 employees tends to hit every aspect of the company as a whole company. So you might have two salespeople, two engineers or whatever, but you have like every aspect covered. And that is, seems to be some kind of magic, some kind of magical number for a startup. And so you can either bootstrap to that point where let's say I'm hiring you, you're going to be $10 an hour. You're going to do this very specific job, but you're going to leave soon. I don't know. Yeah. That, right. But um, yeah, it's very difficult. Like going from one to ten is really, really hard. After ten, it seems to be like, from what I see, fairly easy. So you've just gotta be willing to be broke for a long, long time. Yeah. Or you just have to have great margins. You're making a killing, and you don't really care. Yeah, for <laughs> so. sure. Yeah, podcast community is mainly geared towards bootstrapping and self-funded businesses because I feel like a lot of people they see the WeWorks and the Ubers and the other companies, and they're like. That's so glamorous, you know, raising two billion or two million, two hundred million, whatever the number is in venture funding. Yeah, it's super cool to have that check to say that big number. But when it comes down to it, that only happens to a very small amount of companies, and you can make just as big of an impact if you're willing to do bootstrapping, mm-hmm. uh, because like some of the companies. Yeah, they may raise a ton of money, but they personally don't own that much of the company. So it really comes down to your priorities. Absolutely. Yeah, because like what's less than one percent of companies ever get funded from yeah. venture capital, and like close to ninety percent have done it before. 
So if you've never raised capital before, you've got this like eight, 10% chance that you're gonna get funded anyways, right? So you're talking like, I don't even know, 0.002% as a first time, never raised capital before person going out and raising capital. Um, and I work with a lot of people to help them raise capital. And so it's difficult. But the reality is, is, you know, from a bootstrapping point of view, it's better, right? You know, you can control every piece of yeah. destiny. Sometimes it, it helps having an advisor on the team and it helps having somebody else who's in it with you because they become, let's say I put money into your company, right? I'm equally interested in you. I'm more, in some cases, interested in you crushing it. Now you have another employee yeah. who paid to be part of your team, right? That's a good situation. Yeah. But to find that person is very, very difficult. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Let's go back to our poop example earlier, right? Like you're shoveling for honey bucket. Who wants to put money into that? Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I'm super passionate about this. No one's ever said that. Yeah. <laughs> right? But um, I did hear a story about a guy who went up and bought up a bunch of um, like dump sites. And the guy's killing it because nobody else thought to connect them and share those resources. But you sell the case and... It's interesting, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that comes down to, like, the glamorous factor again. I mean, some people are business smart, and they'll, they'll invest in things that they know are good business investment. Tech people love to invest in because they know it can have the potential to be, like, humongous if it catches the public's eye, whereas, like, yeah, owning a dump or, like, some kind of waste management, you know, having a toilet paper company, yeah. you know, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. glamorous, but so, there could be, you know. I mean, think about toilet paper, but not every day, but, right? Yeah. It's a great business to be in. And, and I think, too, that people don't look at other alternatives to financing. You don't have to raise capital from people, but no. every business needs more money than yeah. you have, right? There are so many resources, like banks and, you know, um, Cabbage is a great example, right? Yeah. Easy ways to get capital. And if you're smart, like if you're a smart person with financing, you can leverage those all day. In fact, we see a lot of people who are trying to raise a quarter of a million or whatever. And I'm like, go debt finance this. It's much better for your business than it is to go and get venture capital. Um, and a lot of people take us up on that because it, it's just cheaper money. Yeah. And you can control it. Right? I think that's important to see all the different options before you decide on one. Yeah. But, but, they, but you're right, because VC's glamorous. Yeah. I just got, yeah. you know, funded by so-and-so. Um, and they're like, oh, I got funded by the bank. And like that, that's not a cool story. Yeah. Well, yeah. now you're in debt. You're like, am I, though? Like, yeah. I just was able to drop my cost of goods sold, increase inventory numbers, and now we've made 3x what we would have, you know? That's a sexy story. Yeah. You know? I was listening to someone who said, yeah, the bank financed me building my business at 0%. He had a credit card that had like the zero APR for like two years. So he just you took advantage of that and yeah. built his drop shipping business on that. So now that's And that's smart. That to me is a smart entrepreneur. Like I just did the same thing. So we just bought inventory for a little quilting company and, you know, it was like 13 grand. And that interest rate was like, let's say, I don't know, let's say 10% right? Balance transfer over to a 0% card. Like that's free yeah. money for us. We know uh -huh. we have to order it anyways, right? Yeah. Like, but that's fr not free capital. We got to pay it back. Yeah. But I'm not paying anything extra. You know, I just, I don't have that 
that initial. And plus, I don't want to put that much cash out there right away. I'd rather you're de-risking your by, yeah. you know, delaying payment. Yeah. So, and I think people just, they don't, they, they don't under, we don't teach financing very well. Yeah. They don't understand it, how it can help them on a business level. I feel like everyone just hears the word debt and they run for the hills, you oh, know. absolutely. Especially today, like student debt and everything. Like nobody wants to be in debt. Yeah. But look at any business. Every business that's doing good has some debt. And debt's good if you can manage it and you know what you're doing. Especially in today in the bootstrapping world, right? Like, let's say you're making, you've got your primary uh, job and it's paying you four thousand a month. Like, can you afford a thirteen thousand dollar inventory purchase? No, no, right? Yeah. If you could, right? Like, it's going to take you six months to build up that cash and all that stuff. Yeah. Can you afford a three hundred dollar payment? Probably. Yeah. Right. So that's good. That's a good debt because you're not. You're not struggling for food. You're not struggling to make your payments. You know, your business is starting to take. That's a good debt model. And especially with 0% interest rate, yeah. you know, not a bad, it's yeah. not bad at all. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I feel like this has been really insightful for our listeners. Is there any final thoughts or would like to share? Yeah, I just encourage people to, one, pick up the phone, like we talked about earlier. Get out there and talk to people. It doesn't have to be customers. Just talk to people. Uh, you find out more people have things in common with not only your business, but your idea, and they're willing to share and help. Um, and then the other thing is, is really focus on those resources. If you're early in your company um, or far in your company, if you keep running into hurdles like over and over and over again, like take a step back, really think about what it is you're trying to accomplish in those resources that you need. And it's okay to shut it down. Like it's okay to shut it down if you just know that a certain hurdle would be near impossible to overcome because you're, you're building up skills and those skills directly translate into the next thing. And I think people are afraid of that. We want to share your story. So if you're subscribed to this podcast, go in the show notes down below and click our email. Put in the email message, share my story, tell us about your business, how is it doing, what are the hurdles you're facing, what are you doing well. We will pick one person to be shared on our podcast. We really want to help you guys grow and and give back in a meaningful and impactful way. So don't forget to smash that subscribe button and start downloading each and every episode of our podcast. It only takes than 30 seconds and it means the absolute world to us. I hope you guys have an incredible week and don't forget to live life 1% better each and every day. Until next time, this has been a unscripted startup production. Don't forget to check us out online at unscriptedstartups.com or on your favorite social media platform at Unscripted Startups.